amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Some of the images and sounds you are about to see and hear are graphic in nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 a.m. on September 11, 2001. About 6,000 people were in the building. Unaware of what had happened, they used their phones to get information from the outside world and to make contact with loved ones. I want to say how much I love you. I think I'm okay, I'm safe now, but it's smoky. The calls came from survivors. And they came from some of the 3,000 who never came home. Some of these calls were recorded, and some are etched in the memories of those left behind. Now you stand alive. These calls and these radio transmissions, they show us through sound, what we couldn't see with our eyes. The World Trade said that tower number one is on fire. The deluge started almost immediately. There were 3,000 calls to 9-11 from the emergency dispatchers in the first 10 minutes. And the calls kept coming in. We have numerous, numerous people trapped. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight we take a look and we look back at the tragedy and the horrors of 9-11. As the statement goes on everything that you can find online, we shall never forget. 9-11. Tonight, AJC Radio takes a very special visit to Ground Zero. What happened on that day and the impact that shook a nation. This is AJC Radio. We come back with 9-11 we shall never forget as we reflect on the most horrific tragedy to hit the homeland. AJC Radio kicks off right now.
And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams. And I'll tell you, tonight this uh, is going to be really probably an emotional show as we look into the corridors of the Twin Towers, as we look at the outside location of Ground Zero and the events leading up to the most horrific tragedy to hit the homeland and to hit us here in America. William, as we talk about this, you see now a lot of people reflecting back 15 years later on one of the most horrific tragedies that could ever touch the human race, I believe, and the lives that were lost, the fathers, the mothers, children that were taken so needlessly. Your thoughts as we get in, get ready to visit this very uh, emotional and troubling uh, reflection on 9-11. Well, I think, um, you know, we, we will forever remember and we'll see those images. We'll explain, you know, what happened to our children and to our grandchildren. Because that, that, there's been, in my mind, no catastrophe or disaster or anything that has shaken this country the way 9-11 has. And so reflecting 15 years later, um, you know, where are we? Where are we as a country? Are we any safer? Uh, you know, all these are still questions that linger. So um, I think it's a lot that that particular incident has started a chain reaction for us as a country and um i don't think we'll ever be the same it'll very much be the same as pearl harbor you know it launched us into world war ii so you know these uh these events that will forever shape us and make us either bring us closer together or it will cause some kind of some kind of change and cliff as we get into this uh, we had the opportunity uh, a year ago, to talk to Congressman Charles Rangel, uh, that is his city, uh, if you will, that happened really on his, the front steps of his door. Um, and we're going to play a little, bit of that, a little bit of that interview a little later in the program where Congressman Rangel gives his insight on how such a thing could happen uh, here in America. And Cliff, as we get ready to visit this, your thoughts on, on the tragedies, the loss, and why is it important that we remember? It is painful uh, at times, but it's important that we do remember uh, so this never happens again on our homeland. Absolutely, and I think that's the important part. I mean, the uh, attacks on 9-11 pretty much started a new uh, new paradigm in terror attacks. I mean, well, they would come to America and, uh, you know, pull something off like this. There had been car bombs before. You know, they tried to drive a truck full of, uh, you know, fertilizer bombs into the Twin Towers before and didn't really succeed, but this really took a shift to, you know, go out, be patient, and learn how to fly planes and and then uh, fly them into the Twin Towers. Uh, but it gave America, you know, a new look into into terrorism. And I think the, the troubling part of, you know, looking back 15 years later is with the invest in advancements in technology, with all that, the, all the way that we've come in 15 years and all the, you know, new things from a computer perspective that we can do, is that, uh, you know, we still don't have quite the hold that um, that we should or that America wants to on on terrorism. You know, we got ISIS is uh, just running rampant now. And uh, I think it's, it's high time that we use all the technology that's available to ensure that we fight the best fight that we can against terrorism. And Cliff, we're going to get into that. And that brings us to the other part of this program. As we remember on the remember the tragedy and the effect that this tragedy had on our nation uh tonight we sit at a point and a crossroad of decision and that decision is to release the irp6 
from federal custody on a wrongful conviction that sent these six guys to prison who actually, as a result of this tragedy, decided to embrace the entrepreneur spirit of America. And that was to create software uh, with the highest uh, uh, cliff form of technology, the uh, the greatest capabilities. And uh, I mean, not just capabilities that were brought out just by the, uh, you know, the private sector, but capabilities that were asked for by Department of Homeland Security as a direct uh, result of the attacks of 9-11 and and the, the failing of the intelligence community. Um, you know, during that time that said, hey, you know, we had CIA, NSA, uh, FBI that had different aspects of the information that if that information had been put together, if they had collaborated their information, then uh, the, the, the common, you know, theme is that we could have, uh, you know, basically stopped those attacks. And so the software, the requirements, the customizations that were asked, asked for by DHS were directly related to that and, you know, is what made the software uh, as capable as it is. And, you know, that was 15 years ago. That Silk software now is, you know, at least five times as robust as it was then and could be integral in helping in the fight against ISIS. No, absolutely. And again, these are very important things. We're going to get into that. Who are the IRP6? Uh, this show and all shows are dedicated to them they are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Quentin Stewart, and Gary Walker, uh, the architects, if you will, of this sophisticated software that could help keep the homeland safe. And as a result of what they saw and observed at Ground Zero, uh, they felt a sense of urgency to move. Upon moving to keep America safe, the United States of America and the criminal justice system of, of this country failed and providing true justice for these men. They were wrongfully targeted, should have never gone to trial, if no crime had ever been committed. And this is how you pay these six gentlemen for wanting to make a difference with tear-filled eyes at ground zero and that tragedy. And when they sought out to pursue a dream to keep their children and their children's children safe, they were locked up wrongfully. And a criminal justice system ultimately failed in the process and we're going to deal with that but at the same time we sent a plea out to President Obama members of Congress the Department of Justice to free these men immediately as a result of this injustice as America's safety hangs in the balance and we're going to deal with that here shortly so I'll tell you what folks this is critically important uh, and we're going to get uh, further into this discussion as we reflect back on 9-11, and I'll tell you what, you may need to grab a box of clinics. Uh, this tends to be a very emotional show. We intend to bring it with everything we have. Our disclaimer to the listeners, Will. Yes, we are not attorneys, and it just calls does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend your time with us this evening. All right, thank you for that, William. And again, Lisa's off tonight. Uh, Here we go, folks. This is AJC Radio. On the other side of the break, we start this important uh, program in dealing with 9-11. The title, We Will Never Forget. Stay with us. This is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs. Weather tonight, 83 degrees, partly sunny right now. 
Los Angeles, 75 degrees. In our nation's capital, 87, mostly sunny. New York City, 79 and cloudy. It sounds like what they call fall. We're coming right back, folks, on the other side of this break as AJC Radio continues with 9-11. We'll never forget. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always, God bless America. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod. But to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. 
And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is no exception, as tonight we deal with the injustice, if you will, of a terror attack in the United States. And we're talking about remembering and reflecting on 9-11. The anniversary will be Sunday, and we felt it necessary to definitely shine the light uh, and, and reflect on this in America that it might bring to the attention of everybody the importance of doing everything we can as a society to ensure that these type of tragedies don't happen again. Uh, before we went to break, we were talking about, Cliff, briefly uh, in regards to the IRP-6. Dave Zapolo, Gary Walker, Clinton Stewart, Kendrick Barnes, David Banks, and Demetrius Harper. These men together with, one, with unity came together and created this software uh, collectively to bring about a change uh, to the, at least the dynamic of protecting the United States of America, Cliff. And uh, I'll tell you what, it took six brilliant minds to do it. One person couldn't get it done. It took six of them, known as the IRP-6. Uh, the IRP-6, you know, and all of the, uh, the other men who helped them to develop the software, just the whole team at IRP Solutions that uh, brought it all together to uh, ensure that we were able to bring the customizations that Department of Homeland Security asked for, NYPD asked for, uh, Philadelphia PD, and the gamut of, all, of the other law enforcement agencies that uh, were on board with uh, bringing the software on. And you look at, uh, you know, what happened on 9-11, you look at the fact that the, uh, the, the IRP-6 that went to Ground Zero saw what happened there and took it upon themselves to say, we will ensure that we'll do everything that we can that this never happens again on the homeland. And from a technical, uh, technological perspective, uh, the consent has been that there has been no software that's come about that's been uh, as advanced as advanced as the Silk software, and that had uh, as many capabilities as, as the Silk software. All right, we're going to get definitely into that, and we're going to, ladies and gentlemen of America, we're going to relive some of these moments uh, we're going to bring to you tonight of that particular day. Uh, and I was asking William uh, before the break uh, kind of some things that, you know, everybody knew what they were doing at one point. Uh, and, and this was a very emotional day in our country. Uh, I remember I was working at America Teleconferencing was the name of the company. Uh, and we were sitting, getting ready to set up for a corporate conference call and bringing all the people on the bridge. And we got notification that the call had been canceled. And I believe it was coming somewhere on the East Coast. So it was major mayhem, if you will, uh, that was going on after that time. And uh, I'll tell you what, they sent us home. So you can go home, get with your families, because it was such an impact. William, what were you doing at that time on that day when it happened? Well, I was at work. I remember we had, um, I was working at a startup here in Colorado Springs. And I, I got to work that day. And of course, with us, the time difference, you know, we were getting stuff early our time. And I remember there was a lot of hustle and bustle around the office and people were like, did you hear this? Did you hear this? And so we were trying to, you know, we were trying to figure out what was real and what was reality. And then, then, you know, the reality started pouring in and, and, and they came, you know, told us, I said, listen, you know, you guys go home. 
I mean, it was it was eerie. It was just the eeriest feeling I've ever felt in my life where you, people just didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, it was, it's like, just go home. And I remember I got home, and that's when I first saw the video footage. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting there thinking that this is almost, is this a movie? Is this some kind of, you know, something happened? You know, like, you know, something, I don't know, some kind of cinematography or something some that was bad. And then you realize that, you know, you're watching a news feed and even the broadcasters that are broadcasting were, they were stumped at and are in awe of what was going on. Because as a nation, we have now seen in our generation an attack from a foreign entity on our soil. And I remember very clear i i finally i shut off the tv and i walked outside i I just had to go for a walk and to look up in the skies and there was no airplanes there was nothing you i just stood there and i looked because at that time they suspended commercial commercial um uh air traffic and the skies for the first time i had ever seen it just you know there's no trails where you'd seen an airplane, and it was just a, a ear, real eerie, eerie feeling. And I'll never forget that. I probably walked a couple of miles, and then I finally I decided I, I need to go back home. Well, it's one of those moments that we will uh, never forget. And uh, a couple of there's some heroes that did some great things uh, during this uh, tragedy, and lives were saved as a result of a selfless attitude from others. A 24-year-old equities trader helped at least a dozen people get out, and then he went back in with firefighters to save more. Just a few minutes after United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower of the World Trade Center, 24-year-old Wellis Crowther called his mother calmly, left the voicemail, and I quote, Mom, this is Wellis. I want you to know that I am okay. Crowther was an uh, equities trader and Sandler O'Neill and partners on the 104th floor. But after that call, the man who was a volunteer firefighter in his teens made his way down to the 78th floor sky lobby and became a hero to strangers known only as the man in the red bandana. Amid the smoke, chaos, and debris, Crowley helped injured and disoriented office workers into safety, risking his own life in the process. Though he couldn't see much through the haze, Those he saved recalled a tall figure wearing a red bandana to shield his lungs and mouth. He had come down to the 78th floor sky lobby in the building with the express elevators meant to speed up trips to the ground floor. In what's been described as a strong authoritative voice, Crowder directed survivors to the stairway and encouraged them to help others while he carried an injured woman on his back. After bringing her 15 floors down to safety, he made his way back up to help others. Everyone who can stand, stand now, Crowther told the survivors while directing them to a stairway exit. If you can help others, do so. He's definitely my guardian angel, no ifs, and or buts about it, because without him, we would, be, we would not be sitting there, waiting until the building came down, survivor Ling Young told CNN. Crowther is credited with saving at least a dozen people that day. Crowther's body was later recovered alongside firefighters in a stairwell heading back up the tower with the Jaws of Life rescue tool, according to Mike. This is a hero. This is a man that said in the midst of that. Can you imagine that? This man says 
knowing that his life is at risk, he's getting everybody out. He's directing them to save others if they could. And they only know him as the, we know him now as well as Crowder, but they only knew him as the man with the red bandana who rescued and saved their lives. Cliff, when you hear that, that is, that is what America is about. And it's about coming together in that moment. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is the epitome of the resilience of America. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's tragic that for people to come together, that there has to be a tragedy. But in the time of tragedy, America has come together. And uh, the man in the red bandana, he proved that, that, you know, this is a time of tragedy. But not just him, but all of the, uh, you know, the first responders there, firefighters, uh, the police, um, you know, ambulance, that they put their lives on the lines countless amount of times that day from going back and forth uh, into the tower, running up and down the stairwells, knowing that this building is on fire with jet fuel that's melting the, uh, the structure, melting down the, the metal beams, the structure of the building from the inside out, knowing that at any time uh, it was going to collapse, but knowing that, you know, they swore an and a duty that said that they would do all that they could and even give their lives to, to try to protect and save the lives of others. And you look at the fact that they were recovered in the stairwell, still trying to save somebody else, trying to rescue another person uh, from the tra- tragedies that were brought upon this nation. And uh, we have to commend them and salute them. And, uh, you know, for all those who were saved, we, we as the American people have to give them uh, our thanks and gratitude because without them, many more lives would have been lost that day. And that's what I'll question. William, you look really emotional as you hear that story. Share, share with us your thoughts. Well, I think, um, you know, I, I, you, as you read it, you know, you, you can't help but get a little choked up. The fact that this man is, he's put, he set aside his life. He made peace with his mother. And he said, you know what? It's time to, uh, time to go to work. It's time to really save lives. It's time to, get these people out here i mean it's so much that i'm thinking about but you have there's no way you can really honor this man for the courage in in the face of all that he had to see in that building i mean we were on the outside looking in awe you can only imagine what he was seeing i mean he had to put the bandana over his face uh to protect himself um no doubt you know he's there he's pulling he's encouraging he's helping i mean this is like Cliff said, this is what's made this country, you know, the, this kind of character. But, I, you know, my mindset is just – or what I'm thinking is, is how, you know, what this man had to go through, what he's thinking about. Moving, moving get, and with a sense of urgency to get these people out, thinking there's no telling, you know, how much time that I have before this building is going to go down and, and – or, you know, it may go down under us. You know, there's no telling. But he's sitting here moving with a sense of urgency. Tapping back into, you know, when he was a volunteer fireman, the reaction, it's not my life, it's the lives that, uh, that, I'm, that are in there, the lives that need to be saved, there's somebody I've got to get to, and encouraging those saying, listen, if you can move, move, you can stand, stand, if you can, help somebody else, we've got to get out of here. I mean, it's just every act of, of being selfless. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah, he's not even thinking of himself. Uh, he thinks he's thinking about how many lives can I save and hopefully thought 
when he called his mother that day, I'm okay, Mom. He had to think for sure he would be okay. And tonight uh, we honor the man with the red bandana for his heroism, and we salute him, and may he rest in peace as a result of his, uh, his heroic actions. Right now we go to the sounds of 9-11. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Yeah, now remember, oh, my God. That looks like a second plane. I didn't see a plane go in. That. That just exploded. I just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I just, that was out of, up to yeah, so that was the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center. Did you see what happened? What happened? Well, I was in the past train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out. Around like yeah, 80. Is, uh, they are now saying that a plane incredibly has crashed into the Pentagon. Folks, you are not another aircraft, unbelievably, has crashed into the Pentagon. This is a preliminary wire. We seek to confirm this, but this work just into us from our newsroom, and perhaps another aircraft went in there. And there you have it, the sounds of 9-11, they leave you speechless. What heroism, what tragedy, and what horror, if you will, in a moment, as we said earlier, that shook a nation. Tonight we say to every first responder, to every firefighter, every police officer, every hero that maybe didn't wear a uniform, we salute you tonight for being there in that moment that saved lives along the way. Two former U.S. Marines put their uniforms back on and searched through the rubble that could have collapsed at any moment. They found two survivors. Sergeant Jason Thomas at Ground Zero, Lieutenant Jay Higgins, while the planes were hitting the World Trade Center, 27-year-old Jason Thomas was dropping off his daughter to his mother in Long Island. When Thomas heard what had transpired, he changed into the Marine Corps uniform he had sitting in his trunk. When Thomas, excuse me, he had sitting in his trunk, he was a former sergeant who had been out of the corps for one year and sped toward Manhattan. 
Someone needed help. It didn't matter who. Thomas told the Associated Press, I didn't even have a plan, but I have all this training as a Marine, and all I could think was my city is in need. Around the same time in Wilton, Connecticut, Dave Carnes was working in his office watching the attack unfold on TV. We're at war, the former Marine Staff Sergeant said to all his colleagues before telling his boss he might not, he might not be back for a while. According to Slate, he went and got a haircut, changed into his Marine uniform, and drove toward New York City at 120 miles per hour. Once both, both Marines reached the collapsed towers, the site now covered in ash and debris, they began searching for survivors. But first they found each other. They had little gear with them besides flashlights and, and military tools, along with other first responders. The pair climbed over the dangerous field of metal, concrete and dust, calling out, United States Marines, if you can hear us, yell for help. When they reached a depression in the rubble of what had been the South Tower, he said, I thought I heard someone, so I yelled down, and they replied back that they were New York Port Authority police officers. They asked us not to leave them. Kongs told Thomas to get to a high point to direct rescuers to the, to the site, then called his wife and sister on his cell phone and told them to phone and give the New York police his location. The two officers, William Germano and John McLaughlin, were on the main concourse between the towers when the South Tower began to fall, but made it into a freight elevator before the collapse. They were alive, but seriously injured, trapped approximately 20 feet below the surface. According to USA Today, once they heard the voices of the Marines, Germano began shouting the code for officer down, 813, 813. After they were located amid the unstable mountain of debris, it took rescue workers roughly three hours to dig out Germano and another eight to reach McLaughlin, who was buried further down. An exhausted Thomas, who never gave his first name, left, his, left the site after Germano was rescued but returned to Ground Zero for the next two and a half weeks to help. His identity was a mystery until after Oliver Stone's 2006 film, World Trade Center, chronicled the rescue of the officers and Thomas emerged from the shadows. You're talking about two soldiers meant for battle. The man went and got a haircut, Cliff, and said, I am going, somebody, see this, let me tell you something about the United States of America and our military force. That has to be from the training instilling these men that they took an oath and they took it seriously. The man went and got physically presentable for battle. I mean, you're talking about a hero here, Cliff. I'll tell you what, what does that say about America and its military? What is being instilled in the military? They got dressed in uniform? Well, see, that's a soldier. That is a soldier. So from the time that they uh, get their basic training, you are to be prepared as a soldier at all times. When you go out to battle, when you go out to perform, when you go out to uh, do your duty, you are first and foremost a soldier of the United States Armed Forces. So be prepared, be ready, and uh, in their case, be presentable as a soldier. And, you know, they're out there to save lives, but if you ever seen a soldier get prepped in time of battle, you know, uh, you hear, you, we know a lot of old Vietnam vets and a lot of vets that went to, you know, the European theater 
And uh, they say, you know, when, when that when that siren goes off, that it's time to go, that they got boots and pants on in a matter of two seconds. And they're heading out the door with their sack. In, in 10 seconds, they are prepared for the battlefield. That, that is the mark awesome. of American soldiers. Well, it tells you the culture of America with all its flaws. There is a culture embedded in rescue and saving others. That is embedded in the, like Cliff just said, that is what your job is. That is the oath you took. Well, well, one thing I wanted to add to it is that's the difference. I mean, there are patriots. Because if I, if, if I heard you correctly, this man had been out of the Marine Corps for a year. Yes. Uniform in the trunk. And like Cliff said, I mean, once a soldier, always a soldier. It's like, listen, I don't have to, I don't have to report to base to be a soldier. I don't, I, you know, I clean up, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to run into action. But the patriotism, see, that's the thing each one of these guys have in common. They, they are patriots. They said, listen, we are at war. We, we have to stand up for ourselves. There, are, there is one of us that's in need, you know, and when you hear this, when you hear these stories, that is the common denominator, each one of them. Embracing the fact that I am, that I am a patriot. I mean, it it, it speaks volumes, uh, William. I'll tell you what, and Cliff. I'll tell you right now. This is why it is so important, and this is why we go back to the IRP six. These also are patriots, absolutely. That said, we would like to avoid another tragedy. Though we applaud the heroes. Too many lives were lost. And our heroes and those that we lost during this process should have never been lost. And Cliff, the software, and we're going to get into that probably a little bit later, but just touch on briefly why that software, and it's my understanding, Cliff, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this software was presented to NYPD. Is that correct? Yes, it was. I mean, it was not only presented to NYPD, there was a, um, an investigator that worked at NYPD, a detective who, uh, you know, had 20 years of experience. And he had been one of the subject matter experts at IRP Solution to help IRP, uh, you know, help to form the software uh, so that it could be used for um, NYPD. So just like at, at DHS, uh, you know, they sent customization and said, this is what we need for it to uh, perform the way that it should. These are the requirements that Department of Homeland Security needs. Um, this this retired detective, uh, you know, came on as a subject matter expert saying, this is how NYPD does their work. This is, the, this is what is needed uh, for, you know, for our officers to be able to, to do their technical work. And the software was, you know, formed toward that. To say it is it is put in it is going to be put in place uh, so that the officers, the detectives, all of law enforcement that are part of uh, NYPD will be able to use the software. And um, you know, again, he made the same comment that you know he had never seen anything as far as technology that had been that advanced. Uh, you know, software for law enforcement. Nobody took the time to ensure law enforcement would have what they need, like IRP solutions did. How soon do we forget? 
We have everybody coming together, talking about we need to find answers. We need to make sure that this does not happen again. And people are hugging and they're crying. While six men who collectively created this software sit in a prison tonight, wrongfully convicted. So it's easy to reflect and say, but how soon we forget that America stands in the crosshair of of war against terror right now. At this moment, do we forget the lives that have been lost? Do we forget the firefighters that have died? Do we forget the man with the red bandana? While we sit back and play politics with the lives of six innocent men, David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart, and Gary Walker, patriots of America. What in the world are we doing? Can I say something here? Yes. I, I, you know, I mean, the reason why this, we have this show, like you said, is dedicated to these guys. But more particularly, this show. Remembering 9-11, I worked on the software. As Cliff talked about, we did modifications for NYPD. I remember the long hours. I'm talking about long, deep into the night, on the weekends. To produce software to prevent this, we literally had the whole map of New York, 77 precincts, police precincts. I remember it. I remembered it. And we could, and the software showed real crime scene, crime scene analysis. This is real time in act, you know, indicators showing that there was a fire going on over here. There's a robbery going on over here. There's something going on over here. It was there for them. Countless, countless hours that was spent by these gentlemen with the hope and dream that, you know what, I can't, I'm not in the army. I don't pick up a weapon and go to the battlefield, but the weapon I do have, the technology that I do know, I can, I can put it in place. I can build something to help prevent this from ever happening again. And that's what people that are listening need to understand. They need to understand that these guys are just as much patriots as the ones that ran in that building. A lot of hours. And they sit in a prison four years later, wrongfully convicted, wrongfully. And we are no better today. We just saw reports with the past, within the past two months that said, there's ISIS cells operating here. These are warnings from, I believe, his FBI director. We are no better. We are no safer. So when we remember these people, we remember their efforts. We remember everything that they did to try to save lives. But there are six men that did the same thing, put forth the same effort to try to save lives. And they sit in prison wrong. And we need to remember that. Well, absolutely right. And I'll tell you, folks, it's just as insane as if the man with the red bandana had come out of the Twin Towers. And the government said, well, you committed a crime. And you put him in prison. That's exactly right. That is exactly what they did to the IRP-6. You can say what you want to say, 
And William, good point made. These are six patriots and heroes who looked out of a hotel window and looked at the devastation. The IRP-6. We'll be right back as we continue, as we reflect on 9-11. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't give justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. 
That would be like preaching to the choir. Today, you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes, and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to the special edition of AJC Radio as we reflect and look back on 9-11. As we face the 15th anniversary of this tragedy, AJC Radio takes a moment to reflect on the heroes and to reflect on the horror, if you will, that is supposed to motivate us as Americans and as human beings to do whatever we can to ensure this does not happen again. How soon do we forget the impact that this tragedy had on countless lives of mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, and children who lost someone on that day? Rick Rescorlo was responsible for saving more than 2,700 lives, and he sang songs to keep people calm while they evacuated the Twin Towers. Rick Riscarlo was already a hero of the battlefields of Vietnam, where he earned the Silver Star and other awards for his exploits as an Army officer. Once immortalized on the cover of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, would often sing his men to calm them down while under fire, using songs of his youth while growing up in the United Kingdom. Many more in the South Tower would hear his songs on September 11th. Reverend Scola was working as head of corporate security for Morgan Stanley. When American Flight 11 hit the tower next to him, Port Authority ordered Rescola to keep his employees at their desk, according to the San Diego source. I said, piss off. Rescola told Daniel Hill, a close friend who was trained in the counterterrorism, in a phone call that morning. Everything above where that plane hit is going to collapse and is going to take the whole building with it. I'm getting my people out of here. Escorter, who frequently warned, frequently warned the Port Authority and his company about the World Trade Center security weaknesses, had already issued the order to evacuate. He had made Morgan Stanley employees practice emergency drills for years, and it paid off on that day. Just 16 minutes after the first plane hit the opposite tower, more than 2,700 employees and visitors were out when the second plane hit their building. During the evacuation, Rescola calmly reassured people singing God Bless America and Men of Harlech over a bullhorn as they walked down the stairs. During the evacuation, Rescola called his wife, according to the New Yorker, Stop crying, he told her. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made my life. Rescola was last seen on the 10th floor of the South Tower heading upward to look for any stragglers. His body was never found. Cliff, when you hear that, this is a night of heroes. And though he was ordered by security, folks who were supposed to be experienced in counterterrorism, telling them to stay put, had he done that, 2,700 lives 
would have been lost. He is credited for the lives of 2,700 people. How big is that? Yeah, that's that's enormous. I mean, uh, this guy knew what was going on. Had already uh, done research, seen the the uh, twin towers as a vulnerable point, and knew what happened. I mean, told him that this whole building is going to come down, and there's no way that I'm going to sit back and uh, you know and let people die. And he it cost him his life in the end, but that's what he was willing to do. Told his wife like, "There's don't cry. This is what this is what I decided to do with my life a long time ago. Don't cry." There's people who must be rescued. That that's unbelievable. That is a hero. Yes. Because I mean, it's basically he's saying I'm going up here to to lay my life down, but I'm I'm going to save everybody that I can in the time being. I made William. Your thoughts? I think uh, you know that's probably the, the the best use of common sense that you could uh, you could come with. I mean, he. Yeah, I mean, this man is sitting here. He's saying, listen, we've already dealt with this security stuff. I've already reported it. The towers are hit. Everything's going to come down. Why should we sit here? Why am I going to tell these people to sit here for what? And, he's, and, and, and you, have to, you have to applaud him for the decisions that are made. And, and, and it was a right decision. Absolutely. Save 2,700 people. Um, you know, another case of just a true patriot, just a true patriot. And I think too soon, again, as we said earlier, that we forget why it is important, as me and Clef and William have alluded to tonight, the importance of implementing every program possible to keep America safe. Our children, sometimes we lose sight of the children and what they have suffered as a result of that loss. We're going to take you on a trip and a journey. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11-2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. We had your favorite dinner tonight. That was only And I ate it all. Even though I don't like carrots.
Mommy lets me sleep in one of your t-shirts. I think it still smells like you. I don't need to sleep with the light on anymore. I'm trying not to cry, Daddy, but it's me. I really miss you, Daddy. It's been 10 years, Daddy. I started high school. I made the honor roll. I hope you're proud of me. I'm also on the soccer team. Can you see me on the field? I started thinking about college. Do you think I could be a doctor? I know you'll be with me when I walk down the aisle. I try not to be sad. But it hurts. What are we going to do, America? As the hearts of our children continue to cry. As we stand at risk of another attack of terror on our nation. What about our children? Our children's children who stand in the crossfire of terror. We must act now that America and our children will remain safe. I hope you know you're my hero. Well, that's heart-wrenching, thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders, the American people, as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen to strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe. Heart-wrenching, but reality. The IRP6 
hold the key that this never happens again. What are we going to do? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a fairy tale or a Hollywood production. This is reality. That little girl who will never have her father again, she cries out, can you see me? America, are you listening? We ask you to go to change.org right now. Sign the petition for the six men who are capable to keep America safe. They are known as the IRP6. Dave DiPolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Six champions and patriots of America who stood at ground zero and said, not on our watch, we need to bring these men home. Change.org, search the IRP6, sign the petition today as we seek from the President of the United States clemency for the injustice that happened to these six men. 9-11 can be a distant memory or it can happen again. Let's ensure that that doesn't take place. This is AJC Radio. Tonight, as we reflect on 9-11, we shall never forget. We'll be right back. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and... I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. 
How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. She had never held public office before. She'd been a senator for just nine short months. And then our nation bowed its head in grief. It appeared as though a dark blackish gray curtain had just dropped between lower Manhattan and the rest of the city. Injury wise, um, both my legs were shattered. They believe that the landing gear of the second plane hit me because 
it was so hot that um, it closed my wounds. Around 9 o'clock at night, one of my staff people, one of Chuck's staff people, came in and whispered to both of us that the White House had just sent up its first request for funding and there was not a penny in it for New York. New York needed a champion. Hillary and Chuck tirelessly worked their way across Washington, not stopping until they reached the Oval Office. President Bush looked at me and he said, what do you need? And I said, we need $20 billion. And Chuck Schumer said, we need $20 billion. And he said, you got it. Her mind just quickly grasped this is a much bigger issue than replacing these buildings. This is replacing the American spirit. And there you have it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America and our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio. As we reflect on 9-11, we shall never forget. We just heard from the efforts or about the efforts of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, who at that time was U.S. uh, Senator for the state of New York, sought out uh, and the lady you heard her say that she had been wounded, but that the heat was at such a level in the towers that day that it closed her wounds. I mean, only one can imagine the fear, the terror that had to be going on, and they marked the heroic activities of Hillary Clinton and what she did in a bipartisan way to help the people and the citizens of New York, uh, ultimately helping a nation heal from its wounds. Um, Last year, we had the opportunity to have Congressman Charles Rangel speak to that day and all that was involved uh, with this tragedy, what he felt as a representative of Congress of New York City, and what he felt. I'm going to play that interview right now. And basically, Cliff, he asked for answers. He asked how to, that he wondered how could this happen. On the other side of this interview, we're going to go into another section and another level of the RP6 software called Link Analysis. We're going to get into that right after this. Okay, Congressman Rangel, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity of, of joining us tonight, and uh, we thought it necessary to reach out uh, to your office as we reflect on 9-11 uh, and the tragedy that hit New York City, and we didn't think if there was anyone better uh, that could speak to it as we reflect and think about uh, what actually happened on that day, and we'd like you to share that with our listeners and, and where, we, where we are today as a nation as we try to continue to keep America safe. I'm so glad to participate in this discussion because no matter what problems we have individually as a nation, we're so blessed that with the exception of Pearl Harbor, we have never but never been struck as we were by terrorists. Everybody in New York and probably throughout the country recognizes where they were when these two planes struck a building and killed 
so many thousands of innocent people. So as a result of that, I feel the pain today of the reaction that our country's had in attacking people that they wanted that appeared to be now more political and more retaliatory than being accurate and the right thing to do. And so I would hope that if people truly believe, as I do, that this retaliation could have been avoided and indeed look into the question as to what happened as a result of our attack on Israel. What happened when people who had religious and other disputes for thousands of years uh, decided that they would then attack the United States and other people? It seemed to me that anybody that doesn't participate by registering, by voting, by asking questions, are not really involved in the protection of the security of the United States. It was a vicious thing that happened to us. But compared to what has happened to other countries and what's going on today with homeless refugees, God has indeed blessed this wonderful No, absolutely, uh, Congressman. And uh, uh, we was uh, doing an opportunity uh, to look at some information uh, uh, this morning where uh, you basically fought very vigorously, uh, Congressman Rangel, to prevent uh, the Homeland Security shutdown. Um, of course, that is the Department of Homeland Security was born out of uh, the tragedy that took place uh, in New York City. Uh, what steps, in your opinion, do we need to take as a country, but as a government? Uh, they, there was questions in regards to sharing information between uh, agencies, law enforcement agencies that could have avoided this. What are your thoughts on that? And how do we correct that now, seeing the threat uh, that America faces uh, with other terrorist groups that may want to copycat, if you will, uh, th- those uh, those moments and those uh, actions taken by uh, Al Qaeda? We do this by encouraging informed people like you to raise these problems and questions to inform and educate and to get people to ask questions because these are not interesting subjects and sometimes they're not pleasant subjects. But as long as you reach out to those of us who are responsible for the decisions that cause or can uh, deflect uh, these type of international horrific stories, then America would just hope that we do the best we can. We'll have to ask the question, why? Why did we have to fight for Homeland Security? Why did we have to fight for the funding? The truth of the matter is, Homeland Security had nothing to do with it. It was a polarization of the Republican Party that if they couldn't get their agreement as to the things they wanted legitimately, they would hold hostage to Homeland Security. Don't ask me why they thought that the United States would capitulate because they took away the heart of our security. But let me tell you this. Today, we marked up a bill in my committee. And soon, in October, the first or soon after, 
we would have reached our debt ceiling, which means what? America, the president would have vast authority uh, from the Congress to borrow money. If the Congress doesn't give it to him and we default, our economy collapses and the international community that is led by the dependency on our currency will call chaos. Wrangle, are you saying that Congress is going to let that happen? Well, they got to the brink of it before, and as a result of just the threat of it, we lost hundreds of billions of dollars because people refused to invest in America. Well, how could it possibly happen today? We, the Republicans, passed a bill saying that it's to prevent a default bill. Well, then it's not going to happen. All they're saying is don't use the word default, but what does that mean? They say Treasury can borrow more money, but they have to pay back our foreign people who invested first. Well, what's wrong with that? It means that they never considered our obligation to our sick, our poor, our disabled, our veterans, just the people that, that we borrowed money from. Hey, I'll be glad to get on your program when this thing gets on the floor. And then people would say, God, I never thought they would do that in Washington. Well, the frustration that people have with Washington is what creates people like Donald Trump. They don't love him. They're just frustrated with government. I got to run now, but call okay. me back. I'm glad to talk with you any other evening, okay? Thank you, Congressman. Thanks for your service. Thank you Thank so you much, Congressman. Thank you very much, and we appreciate you, and we will be uh, reaching out to you again. Take care and be safe out Thank there in Washington. Thank you so much. I'll be there for you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Take care. And there you have it, Congressman Charles Rangel, in no uncertain terms and not mixing words at all, Cliff, uh, of the down to the point that the Department of Homeland Security uh, – which was created, as we stated in that interview with Congressman Rangel, out of the tragedy of 9-11. Uh, and he states the fact of the politics involved here, that something that came out of such a tragedy, for it to even be discussed or even talked about, possibly shutting that department down, is ludicrous. And Cliff, we were talking a little bit uh, prior to Congressman Rangel's interview, uh, in regards to the link analysis, part of the software uh, as Congressman Rangel said very clearly, William and Cliff, he made it clear. Uh, we must do everything we can to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Cliff, if you and William will go into that discussion for our listeners, the link analysis, what is the importance of that? How does it work? How does it, again, strengthen of keeping the homeland safe? Yeah, you know, just like uh, Congressman Rangel said, there, there are so many uh, pieces in part that um, you know bring together the entire security of the homeland and you know I thought it was interesting that he uh, you know spoke about would Congress actually let Department of Homeland Security go unfunded and and I think at least on two occasions they got right up to the wire and you look at that and you say okay if these are the people who are tasked with keeping our homeland safe then what do we as American citizens do and so then you look at the, uh, you know, the IRP-6 and IRP solutions and the software that, uh, you know, that they built saying, look, we will do our part. You know, it's up to the politicians to do what they have to do. But sometimes politicians are just that. They, you know, 
go back and forth on on what really needs to be done. But as citizens and uh, as a corporation, you know that that stepped out and said we're going to ensure that the uh, the homeland is safe. IRP Solutions came up with several different aspects. You know what are called modules of the uh, Silk software. One of those modules was the link analysis, where you feed information in, you know, people, places, things, and the software will link those things together. And, you know, it does it uh, kind of in a uh, automatic engine where you, the, the information is put in and in the background, the software is cranking away, finding out what's going on, you know, uh, kind of like being a, uh, you know, a sentinel over the, over the nation saying, uh, you know, how do these things come together? The, is this person related to this place? Is, is this person related to, you know, a known terrorist group? Has, have, has, has the money that they've deposited, has it been wired to, uh, to somewhere else, to a group that uh, knows to have ties to, to any other terrorist group? So that link analysis um, is an integral part of the Silk software. And, and you know, I know, um, you know, I did, I did some of the data work on it. William did a lot of the uh, of the development on it. I mean, so so we're not here talking about you know what we heard about the Silk software, what we think the software does. We were there. We helped to build it. We uh, you know helped to to stand it up and look at it with pride and and uh, and pain when the when the FBI came in and, and raided the facilities and uh, you know took the IRP six up to this point and put them put them in federal prison. Uh, but the software was developed to ensure that the homeland was uh, was kept safe. And Will, if you want to elaborate on some of that, you know, feel free. Well, I, I think I mean you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. The, the thing I think I would like listeners to understand is that, you know, again, like Cliff said, we're not talking, you know, hypothetical. Or we heard this is reality. This is the stuff that that was created. These guys envisioned, and, and you know, we did it, but. The, the link analysis, the thing that, that was so powerful about it was the fact that it takes information, case information from one case and tries to, to model and link some behavior. So if you have one case where, you know, John Doe is over here and, you know, this person is identified by having, you know, some kind of characteristics, you know, um, tall, short or whatever, and there's somebody else that looks the exact same in another case. It starts to re- it starts to build that relationship, and so now we start to see this person that was involved in case A could have been involved in case B. So in a case of so think about like with with what we're what we're celebrating today, are remembering today in 9/11. If there is behavior, there's there's terrorists with aliases. Then you know there's this alias over here. This person was found over here. They could relate him to another case over here. Wow. Where you know, and so now all of a sudden you start to pattern behavior, and that's what's important about uh, this tool. And wow. again, like Cliff said, it's just one module. This, this is one module which is huge because it tracks a pattern of behavior. If I'm hearing you correctly, that's right. That's right. Uh, and that in, that information, I believe, is shared, which is critically important. The sharing of that information with local law enforcement, Cliff and 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 William, that that actually. Uh, and that's the importance of sharing that information because the information, number one, what you're telling me is critical. Right. But it is, it's, it's really important that that information be shared. How then do basically I presume that that would be at the actual local law enforcement stage, Cliff, 
as far as the link analysis, or does it trickle down from the top down? No, the software will be implemented at, you know, say it's implemented at Department of Homeland Security, which, uh, you know, oversees NSA, CIA, FBI. So those those three agencies using the Silk software would then all share the same information right. where, you know, the, the report that came out from the 9-11 Commission said that they were not sharing anything. And had they been, uh, it could alleviate the fact that there was an attack on the uh, Twin Towers. But wow. with the Silk software... You have those three agencies, and, and the the beauty of the Silk software and the excuse that I call – I call an excuse that, you know, those agencies were not sharing uh, information back then on 9-11 because they said, well, there's no, there's no secure vehicle that we can share information. We don't want this person to see it, or we don't want that person to see it. Uh, there's particular case information. There's particular uh, informants that we don't want to expose because we don't know who might be a mole inside these agencies. So they come up with all these reasons. Well, the Silk software shares that data securely and only gives access to it to those who should have access. And so you, you take that information from, uh, you know, like the example of those three agencies, and you feed it all to the software, and the link analysis will say, okay, well, I see person A uh, at FBI. Uh, I'll see, I also see a relationship with them. Uh, with person B at the NSA, and it brings all that information and brings it together and gives you the whole picture. And had they had that picture uh, before 9/11, they would have seen that these individuals were going to, you know, learn how to be uh, commercial pilots, and they were going to the same place. They came from different places, but they ended up at the same place. And you Plus, saw that link yes, and said, "Okay, go. when we analyze that data, we see that these people are plotting something together." And that we need to go uh, wow. you know, have a conversation with them about what they're doing. Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, if that doesn't sound like the answer to ISIS and any threat that threatens this country, perhaps had that software been implemented before 9-11, the Twin Towers would be there today. Now, when you talk about the sophistication of such a software it's priceless because it is saving and would save lives. We can't undo 9-11-2001, but we can avoid another attack as America stands at risk. And we keep saying it over and over again. The people on CNN and NBC and ABC and all of these places continue to say, and members of Congress, sleeper sales are already here. That's right. What else do we need to do? There's one thing. Free the IRP-6 and free them now. President Obama has the power to grant clemency. We ask you to go to change.org to avoid another attack on this nation. We should be putting the steps, and I, I believe Congressman Rangel made it very clear. He said we need to ask those who can provide the answers, the tough questions. We put to you the question tonight, what do you have to lose? The software, Cliff, is available right now. And I'll tell you what, while we sit idly by as these four men, six men, excuse me, they have spent four years in federal prison. They have languished there for four years. What could have been avoided, whether it's uh, California, San Bernardino, uh, attacks Boston. Boston, 
while these men sit in prison. We have a lot of tough questions, and we need answers to them right now. Why do we sit idly by? Will it take uh, uh, another terrorist attack in Florida, in California? Who, who could say that those tragedies that ISIS has claimed, you know, responsibility, responsibility for could have been avoided, Cliff, as you said, with the link analysis? How many lives could have been saved? Someone must answer that question. Well, I think one point, one thing to bring up here, one quick point. What is law enforcement doing differently today than they did in 9-11? Probably nothing. I mean, you, I mean th- that's the reality because the bottom line is this software has, is there. It's available. It's more powerful than it was then. Than it was then. And now we're just talking about one module. Think of that. Now, now you think about that. Now, so so let's, let's, let's just put, let's put it – let's bring it to today. There are sleeper cells that are operating. There are guys that are recruiting right now for ISIS on local campuses. There are local venues all around the country. We know this. Their behavior could be mapped, patterned. The, and, and now you start to build cases against uh, persons of interest because now you have this behavior. You have now linking of cases, linking of questionable activity. Through one common tool, they're sharing information across agencies where the Silk software is deployed. So now, you know, state and local government, now FBI, local law enforcement, all could actually be. And you know, you know, when you look at uh, the places that uh, that the Silk software has been introduced to, first and foremost, you know, Department of Homeland Security, because they gave the uh, the requirements for building out. Um, you know, certain parts of the software for for the department, and they also ask for customization. And during the, uh, you know, what they call the Consolidated Enforcement Environment Initiative, where they were, uh, you know, basically asking for software that could foot the bill, no software made it as far as the Silk software. And then when IRP Solutions was raided, and the software was basically, uh, you know, or the, the DHS was told, do not do business, with IRP Solutions, suddenly that entire initiative fizzled away because there was nobody else who could fit the bill. So here you have the software sits on the shelf. DHS says there's nobody else who can build it out, but the politics of it all and the corruption of it all, um, you know, basically tears down the fact that this software can help America. And, you know, uh, there are different agencies that, that fall under that umbrella of, of uh, DHS, you know, the federal law enforcement agency, CIA, FBI, uh, NSA, um, you know, they were contacted and said, look, we have this silk software. It was, it was um, you know, built to the requirements and customizations of Department of Homeland Security. This is what you need. To, to implement, this is what you need to ensure that the homeland is safe. This is the piece that was missing that Department of Homeland Security said that we need. And what have they done? They haven't made a move at all. So, you know, back to Congressman Rangel's, um, you know, comments that, you know, who are those who are responsible for not ensuring that the homeland is safe? You have the IRP-6. They did their part. They built a, uh, they built a piece of software that um, outperformed everyone's, everyone else's. And they built it to the specifications of Department of Homeland Security and said, this is what we want to offer our country. This is, this is our piece to say we'll help to keep the homeland safe. 
But I, I, just to add to that, it, not only was it DHS, you know, there was also NYPD and Philadelphia, if I remember correctly, that also, you know, there was customizations that, that were done for both agencies. Both these right. are large agencies. So you could think about now, now this application, all this rolled up. And, you know, and so it's an even better solution for law enforcement. No, absolutely. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion uh, as we remember 9-11, ladies and gentlemen. The IRP-6, you're going to hear their names quite a bit. Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Patriots of America that set out to keep the homeland safe. It is needful that these men be released immediately from federal custody who were wrongfully convicted for a crime that was never committed. We seek justice, and we will continue to do so here at the Just Cause and ADC Radio. On the side of the break, we continue as we get ready to even go in further discussion about the IRP-6 and some other comments from President Obama and other notable people in regards to the tragedy that shook a nation. We'll be right back here on ADC Radio. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, 
sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Now's an opportunity to do uh, generations a favor by coming together and whipping terrorism, hunting it down, finding it, and holding them accountable. Uh, the nation must understand this is now the focus of my administration. We will be very much engage in domestic policy, of course. I look forward to working with Congress on a variety of issues. But now that war has been declared on us, we will lead the world to victory. Victory. I will not discuss. I will not discuss the intelligence that our country has gathered. Um, I believe I took the. I know. I don't believe. I know. I took the appropriate actions as the commander in chief to be in a position to be able to uh, make the decisions necessary for our government to handle the crisis. Uh, you didn't hear the end of the phone call with the, the mayor and uh, George Pataki, both of whom thanked me for the fact that we had immediately on the phone with them uh, from Air Force One and our government responded quickly. I well, I don't think about myself right now. I think about the families, the children. Um, I'm, a, I'm a loving guy. And I'm also someone, however, who's got a job to do. And I intend to do it. And um, this is a terrible moment. But this country will not relent until we have saved ourselves and others from the terrible tragedy that came upon America. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special AJC radio program, Remembering 9-11. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams. Lisa is off tonight. Tonight we have addressed the tragedy. What you just heard was former President George W. Bush addressing the nation, addressing folks who had questions, concerns. And we salute President George W. Bush for his leadership in a time of crisis that had to be there. And I like the point Cliff he made. He said, we will not relent. And I'm a caring man, but I have a job to do. Again, we say all the time, no one understands the pressure of that office till they are there. And when you hear him, and I actually saw the clip, the emotion, the tears in the president's eyes, 
we have to remember to remember our leaders. And whether we agree on everything or not, they have an insurmountable amount of pressure that they must deal with in this country because crisis will continue to face this nation. And I think President Bush responded well. Cliff, your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, uh, whether you like him or you don't, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, um, on that day that uh, President Bush stood up and uh, declared to the world that America would wage a war on terror so that we would not ever uh, sit back and watch this happen again on American soil. Uh, you know, whether you were whether whether you voted for him or not, on that day, I believe the American people were on were on his side and stood with him. And uh, Congress voted unanimously, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to wage that war. And um, it's something that had to be done. And you know, I, I commend him. You can do nothing but salute him for taking that stand. It was a, as a, a very uh, heavy load and a uh, a hard decision to have to make, but he made it. And, you know, he made the statement that he knew first he, he began to say, I believe. Then he came back and said, I know that as the commander in chief, I made the proper decision. Uh, and that, that decision was basically to keep America safe. That's awesome. And uh, again, we salute all the heroes. There are those that we could never name. And there are those that are unknown uh, in this war. But we remember the victims. We remember those that gave their lives that others might live. We now turn the segment to what you didn't know about the IRP-6. We continue this discussion, the importance of their work, their dedication, and their heroism to this nation. This is what you didn't know about the IRP-6. But just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11 year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us for these unbelievable events. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and work together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions. The name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out. Because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind. 
and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict her. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube. Search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news Every week, you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to sentence. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it.
And there you have it. What you didn't know about the RP6, I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart. William Williams and Lisa Stewart has joined us uh, as well. And uh, I'll tell you what, we get into this conversation really in relation to 9-11. It's appropriate that we discuss that. And uh, William, going into why is it critical that our listeners, our congressmen, our Department of Justice, our president, given what we have heard in just brief tonight about the tragedies of 9-11, that these men, the IRP-6, for four years, we've been blowing the horn of injustice. We continue tonight. Why is it so critical that these men be freed right now? Because the bottom line is they understood and understand the fact information is power. Agencies being able to share information about cases, about informants, about common behaviors, all these things are things that are important to solving cases. They're getting leads. We've seen it over and over again where we it's after the fact. You know, even in, in with President Bush's speech, he said, I'm not going to go into the amount of intelligence that we're gathering. You're gathering it after the fact, after a tragedy has happened. What happens if you turn the table? What happens if we start gathering information ahead of time, and now we can start actually preventing 9-11? Well, that is exactly what the IRP-6 and the software created by these six men can do and will do. Recorded by Department of Homeland Security, uh, was in talks, uh, Cliff, with uh, NYPD, was in talks with uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I'm telling you, these were things that were in motion. It is critical that we set these back in motion. And how can we do that, Cliff? Uh, what exactly can we do, and we're doing what we can here, to let America know that six men have been held wrongfully for four years? It's not only a criminal justice system issue, it is a, a matter of national security. That's right. I mean, when you look at the fact that the software was created at the, from requirements given by Department of Homeland Security, if nobody else knows what America needs, as far as technology, as far as software, as far as its capabilities, uh, if nobody else knows, DHS knows what they need for Homeland Security. They gave the customizations, they gave the requirements for the software, and IRP Solutions built it out to their customizations. That means the software was not something that, oh, this might work for DHS, this could work. It was built to work for DHS. It's exactly what it's called for. Well, to be continued here on AJC Radio, we'll continue to get into that discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, go to change.org, sign the petition uh, that we are trying to seek President Obama to sign for clemency for these six men. Who are the RP6? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We seek justice for these men. The perpetrators of justice, who are they, Lisa? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, former federal agent John Epke, former federal agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, 
Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you, Lisa. And to the folks of America, we will never forget 9-11. Remember this little girl who lost her dad. When you think about the importance and the urgency, we must act now. Free the IRP-6. We'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, the young lady you are about to listen to lost her father on 9-11-2001. Through the years, one thing remained constant. She continued to miss her father. Here's what she had to say. It's been a year, Daddy. I really, really miss you. Mommy says you're safe now in a beautiful place called heaven. Oh, we can
I try not to be sad. Maybe you're all that I want. But it hurts. And you're lying here in my What are we going to do, America? As the hearts of our children continue to cry. As we stand at risk of another attack of terror on our nation. What about our children? Our children's children who stand in the crossfire of terror. We must act now that America and our children will remain safe. I hope you know you're my hero. That's heart-wrenching, thought-provoking. What are we going to do? I speak to America, the leaders, the American people, as you wonder what the next step will be or the next act that will happen to strike terror across America. We must join in this fight to keep America safe. His faithful lightning up his terrible whistles. He too
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.